It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. Melissa Castle, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Um, my mom is visiting and she was asking uh, whether or not you still play the piano because you took a piano lesson from her. Is that right? I sure did. <laughs> so um. now, now that you're on the spot. I know. Um, I can't say that I still play, but I do know a couple by heart still. The Tarantella up on the housetop. And yeah, there's a couple I can just sit down and piano and still play, but I can't say that I still do. My mom didn't give me piano lessons because she thought it'd be too stressful because I I would get really, I, I very little patience uh, and I'd get stressed out. And so the pastor at the Lutheran Church gave me piano lessons and that didn't work out very well either. Um, but, uh, she, there's so many people, she, she gave so many, uh, piano lessons over the years. It was pretty funny. I was like, well, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Of course that you took some piano lessons there. Yeah. No, I remember my best friend, Kara was like, took friend, uh, took lessons with your mom too. And Kara was a good student that practiced every week <laughs> and like ended up going to college. And I think she gave piano lessons in college just, you know, with a teacher. So she was very successful, but unfortunately, I uh, my musical talent didn't go very far. Yeah, no, it's a it's a cool <laughs> thing um, that we uh, we have the piano here in uh, Ketchikan. My wife and I decided to keep it, um, and I wish I had like kept with it. I didn't really learn very much, and I couldn't really play very well. Um, but it's kind of a cool thing to have, and just you know, one of those random things that you can do at least a little bit. Yeah, no, exactly, and I. I jumped over to the saxophone and played that through high school. And so um, some of that definitely translated over. I needed some of that basic knowledge I learned from your mom. Yeah. It's nice to try things and find out that uh, you either don't like them or do like them. And then now as an adult, you're doing a similar thing and you have found that you like uh, being a pilot. So do you officially have your pilot's license now? I'm officially done as of the end of January there. Yeah. That is crazy. <laughs> Finally. At what point do yeah. you want to be a pilot or, or get your pilot's oh license? Cause you're not yeah. like, trying to be Alaska airlines or anything like that. Right. No, I, I'm not saying that my, I'm, I'm not done where with just a private, I'm actually working on my instrument right now. Um, but I would say probably it was at some point in my younger, maybe high school, college days um so it wasn't like as a child I wanted to be one but you know my dad always talked about him having a plane and how he like loved it and you know I could see he he just got so excited about it and every time we'd go do a hunt especially in the interior you know you take a super cub in 
And it was just like, oh my gosh, this looks like so much fun. And the idea of using the plane as an access tool to get into places in Alaska that um, typically wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be able to get to, um, that was a really big um, kind of push for me to do this. It was like, I could go skiing and hiking and biking and hunting and do all these fun different things with a plane in some really cool places that I would never have seen. Mm -hmm. There's a picture of me when I was really, really young, my first flight ever, and something about the seat belt, like, was too tight or something like that. So I'm getting off the plane and I'm crying. Uh, so I think from an early age, I was, <laughs> I, I didn't really like that. It was a, a traumatic first Georgia. moment. Yeah. And, um, I, I didn't ever really thought about it, but yeah, I was kind of nervous flying around in the planes and I didn't really like flying around in, in Southeast just because we were always going during the winter. You know, oh my gosh. Yeah. They're like terrible. <laughs> they're awful down there. Horrible. And, and you know, actually that was like, you know, getting into it, it was like a fear I had to overcome. Like there were some scary flights going from Prince of Wales Islands to Ketchikan. And it was like, oh my God, are we going to make it to the ground? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you just get bounced around so much. And then yeah. you, you got it. Yeah. And then people, other people <laughs> tell the stories about how, you know, something was worse on their trip or how they, you know, there was an updraft or there was something, I don't know the terminology for it, but so many of those bad ones. And I remember, we were flying from, I think it was from Cake to Angoon, and um, they split up uh, my, my buddies Ryan and Brian onto different flights because uh, there were two that were going. And then they're like, well, why? And the pilot said, just because. And later I found out that they didn't want, they wanted to split up the brothers just in case the plane went down. You know, a, a mother wouldn't lose both the brothers. It's just kind of a, oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, it makes, 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 <laughs> makes total sense. But, you know, that's totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I think that's well, why the, the people who come up to do hunts that are flying out in August and whatnot, they talk about the bush pilots and how great they are. And they are really great. And that's because they fly in horrible conditions during the winter with consequences. You're flying teams around uh, for basketball, for cross country, for whatever. And so during the summer, it's got to be probably a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, and even going back to like, you know, coming where we're from, like one of the things that kind of scared me too is like, you know, how many crashes do we have down in Southeast Alaska per summer? It's like, you know, it's common to have, you know, a couple. And unfortunately that, that, uh, that's something you have to consider going into this, um, I guess hobby that I've gotten into is it's a risky, it's a risky thing. And, uh, there's a lot of components that go into it, not just, um, weather either. Yeah. We had a rash of them uh, a couple of years ago and, um, obviously my students were pretty impacted by it. Um, but it was, there were still quite a few students who still wanted to be pilots. There was still something about it. And that just speaks to kind of the Southeast Alaska culture, particularly Ketchikan has got very strong roots in, in aviation and a lot of kids understand it, but you know, it's just one of those risks. If you, if you were risk averse, then you wouldn't really do much of anything, you know, Southeast Alaska and Alaska in general, whether you're commercial fishing on a boat or you're in aviation, you know, there's, there is some inherent risk and, I didn't mean things for it to get to get super super dark. Uh, so so. Oh, it's quick, okay. Uh, yeah, but, no. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, that's part of it. So, um, yeah. What's been kind of the 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 coolest part of it? I'm, you know, people talk about the freedom. People talk about you know you know what is it about uh, flying that really really gets you? The the freedom is kind of like one of the first things you, that came to my mind. Like you said, it's like you know 
building all these hours and you're building all these skills and these education and then like when it all starts coming together and you just like start nailing your landings and then you know one of the biggest um kind of clicks for me when I was out we like in the middle of my training we went out to like Kinnick which is like the glacier um at the Kinnick um valley there and went up and just like flying over the glacier looking at these huge mountains and being like oh my gosh my sister did a sheep hunt over there like <laughs> my friend did a goat hunt down here here's the river that like you know people like a boat up you know here's people like you know ride their bike out and have a picnic and it was just like oh my gosh it's so real that like these places now you have access to so um the freedom is definitely like one of the biggest things and then also watching um getting better at something like i'm one of those people that really loves some instant gratification um like a lot of us and so flying is not that it uh you really have to work at it at least for me for my experience and so um i have about a, a little over 100 hours now and now i'm finally like getting some landings that are just like smooth and buttery and it's like mm. oh my gosh yes <laughs> this has taken so many landings i've done over 500 landings now and it's like and still a lot of them are really crowded but like there's the consistency and the growth um has been really fun to kind of watch myself grow yeah so. I, I, I tell students so much um is in that doing something that provides you an opportunity to grow and learn and get better at stuff is such a cool feeling it doesn't matter just something, you know, whether it's you see the yeah. results of from, from, you know, a hunter from working out or from uh, riding or from, you know, whatever it is, just to be able to get better at something and feeling that level of accomplishment. It's, I can't imagine a life in which you just clock into a job and you just do that. And it doesn't really matter what the results are, or what you do. You, you just do this data entry type thing. And for some people, that's what they have to, you know, they're, Based on their circumstances, that's kind of where their their generational or their family is at this point, and you know maybe they're making things better for the next generation. But having something that you can do and work on in addition to your work or make your work, it's it's so rewarding, and life just becomes a lot more kind of fun and entertaining. And you 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 don't pay as much attention to the nonsense that's going on because you don't have as much time to just be distracted by it. You're you're doing things of purpose, and it's a lot more fun. Oh, totally. Like, I mean, and I, one of the reasons I know that I am really in love with flying is because even when I'm out there by myself, I like will hit a landing. I get the biggest smile and I talk, I talk to myself. I sound crazy, but I talk to myself. I'm like, nice one. And I like, you know, go around and I just get so excited. And every time I get ready to go fly, especially in the winter up here, it's like, it's this whole thing with wing covers and turning the plane on it. It's just like a lot of prep work, but I constantly am like thinking, I'm like, you always get so excited when you're done and when you're flying to so just like go through this extra work. So, um, yeah, it's like super rewarding and super fun to have something that, um, kind of gives you a big goal. Like, like, you know, this is going to like be a lifelong goal of constantly getting better at flying because it's um, going to be something you have to keep up with. Mm -hmm. How important is that pre-flight check? There's at some point you, you know, you, you just can't get so good where you, end up not doing certain things um you know even even with like when you're trailering your boat you just okay i gotta make sure this 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 like simple sort of things you're taking your boat out of the water you just have to go through the product protocol and sometimes when someone 
is there and they offer to help. It's like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I can't have you help because <laughs> yeah. I have to go through my checklist here because I, I, I can't shortchange it. I can't think that you're going to do this and not do it. And then it ends up not happening. So I just got to go through this. So uh, can you walk through some of the procedures or the importance of the procedures when you're going through? So even as you get better, you still have to stay focused. Yeah. I mean, every, most pilots know everything is run by a checklist, 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 everything's a checklist in aviation um, to avoid small, simple mistakes. And I've already made a couple, um, you know, the pre-flight, we kind of, I have like four different checklists before I even am t moving the plane, basically. And you know, I was like, the, my main pre-flight, there's before I start the engine, start the engine, and then like getting my, uh, my run-up done, which is like right before the takeoff so um everything from like checking screws and bolts and my fabric and making sure my lights are working my tires have air making sure my tailwheel like that is all hasn't been cracked from my last few landings if they were bad or um, a rock didn't hit my propeller and gouge it super well um making my filter all those things are like in my checklist basically and i'm checking it every single time and like I said, I've already made some mistakes that just remind me so much how important that pre-flight is. And not only the pre-flight, but once I'm done with the plane as well, um, I've left the master switch on, which came, home ne came next time to a dead battery. I've left my, um, my fuel cap off, came back after three days of rain and saw my fuel cap was off. So just like simple little things like that really remind you and thankfully they're, you know, like, things that are on the ground, but they add up to big things and also remind you how important all those checklists in the pre-flight is. Um, because these are mistakes you can't just pull over on the side of the road. You know yeah, what I mean? It's like, right. you know, these can, um, and I actually had a big breakdown in the middle of my training because I was like, maybe I'm not meant for this. Like I'm not meticulous enough. And like, I was like, no, you just have to try really, you have to try extra hard because like, you know, I sometimes I, you know, we'll get in a rush. And so it's like, you can't be in a rush. You need to slow down and you need to go through your checklist every single time. So, yeah. 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 I think that's a, that's a huge thing. There are people who count themselves out because they think that they're just not the type of person who's going to do that. So I, this is an overgeneralization, but I tell my students, I said, you know, all of you were horrible at walking. Like none of you could walk. You were pathetic at walking when you were a little <laughs> kid, but that sort of grit, you're like, you're going to figure this out and you're, wobbly noodly legs ended up figuring it out. Like you didn't just lay yeah. down there crying and think, well, I'm just not going to be the type of person who's going to walk. Like you figured it out. And at some point we get in this, well, that's just not, for, not for me or I can't do this. And sometimes you do figure out that, okay, well, this maybe might not be, uh, might not be what I want to go, uh, road I want to go down, but, um, persevering is such a huge thing. You find out a lot more about yourself and you find that other people have persevered. It's not that they were just, it was easy for them. They just became something it's they battled that and they came out the other side. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that mint mobile offers premium wireless, starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint... 
You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That is mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Yeah, no, totally. And it kind of like what you were just talking about there was definitely probably a comparison to like my husband and I were kind of learning at the same time. He took off a month of work and went out to Willow and learned. And I did it over six months, even though I really wanted it done in like a month. I just, it wasn't possible for what I was doing. And so I was really emotionally and like wanted it so bad. And so I felt like I kept having these hurdles. It was like weather, mechanical, he had the plane in Willow. So there was like all these constant little things I had to jump over. And it just made me want it so much more. And it like, then that day I passed my check ride, it was just like, it was all just like, that was worth it. And I feel like the universe just made me, made me work for it super hard. And it was really rewarding. It felt really good after all that effort I put into it. Um, And I just got more experience with instructors as well. Like I got more experience out of it than probably I mean, I got a hundred, I think I got my license right at like a hundred hours, which is, you can get it in 40. It took me more than double the amount of hours. So it's like, you know, yeah, it cost me more money, but I also got a really good amount of experience with some instructors mm-hmm. that um, I needed. Yeah. What are you doing for a plane? Is there one that's kind of provided that you learn on? Um, is there a lease opportunity? A buddy of mine from, also <laughs> from Prince of Wales, he bought one, but it's, used for like someone else uses it for lessons so the maintenance is i don't know there's some sort of deal in there but yep. how do you how do you do that so um one of my biggest mentors is um, a good friend of mine and my boss actually and he knew that i was super interested in all this and you know we were trying to figure out how to do it because that's one of the biggest things how because it's very expensive and you know there's a lot of logistics to it you need weather and you need plane and you need instructor um so his actually, my boss's um, good buddy was selling his plane, and that was a it's a Taylor Craft. It's a really kind of simple training plane. There's no flaps in it. Um, it's got a hundred horsepower. Um, it's a great little plane. It's super light. It's a tailwheel. Um, but anyway, he was selling it, and it kind of came up at the same time. So, me and my husband and um, two friends all went partners in it, mm. and we well, we all wanted to learn in it. So. Um, uh, we had a really expensive annual, so I don't, you know, I don't know if the plane actually came out to be, it did come out to be a, a little bit, I'm sure, cheaper than renting, but it, it did come with a whole another set of responsibilities of owning a plane and maintenance, and um, even though that was frustrating at times, I think it paid off because it was, um, we got to learn a ton about our plane and stuff that, like, if I was at a flight school, if I was renting, it would just be like, oh, you need to fix this. Whereas like this stuff was like, oh, I left the master switch on. I killed the battery. Mm. Now I got to take the battery out, learn how to 
take the battery, I took it into the shop, you know, all these parts to it. So we actually own the Taylor Craft right now still. Um, and we probably will own it for um, a little while longer. It runs off car gas, which is nice too. It's much mm. cheaper than ab gas. And it burns about five and a half gallons per hour. Whereas like some of these super cubs or, you know, up to the 180s are burning like nine to 15 gallons an hour. So it's a really good plane to learn in for what we want to do long-term, like in the bush. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, so, yeah. uh, what's your elevation that you cruise at? And then uh, what kind of speed are you getting? <laughs> Our speed isn't very fast. It's about 80 miles per hour when we average, um, in elevation, um, we, I've never taken it higher than 5,000 feet. Uh, I think the previous owner has taken it up to seven or eight, um, to get over looking up over some mountain stuff but um yeah typically the stuff that we're doing is under 5,000. yeah that's kind of nice it seems like yeah. it would be uh safer and easier for your purposes and uh yeah good started plane i didn't think uh starting right off at 15 20 000 feet would be a little bit aggressive you probably need a lot a lot more horsepower than 100. oh yeah yeah and i haven't actually been up it was super high yet like in even just like some general smaller aviation aircraft but yeah, you start like, you know, heights definitely start to become a thing, and it's just yeah. It's, I think it's <laughs> all has different components of it. Have you done all the all the landings on? I'm I'm assuming a good runway. When do you like graduate to, like gravel or a, a more remote airstrip? When is that happening? So yeah, that I've been practicing mostly around Merrill, and we have a place out or uh, the strip out in. Um, Birchwood in the Chugiak area, and then I go over to Goose Bay, which is across the inlet here. I've done a couple landings um, at Kanik on the gravel um, before things started getting icy, but now I kind of need to wait until um, things start melting off. Mm-hmm. So I'm 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 ready to go to the gravel. Um, I definitely, I'm probably going to have to take. I'm going to choose to take some lessons of somebody to maybe help me get more comfortable. You know. Landing on a 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 foot paved runway is very different than, you know, a bumpy gravel strip, on yeah. a, you know, stream or stuff like that. So um, I kind of have a couple instructors I'll probably go out with when the stuff melts off here in about June. Yeah. The, so. the people who are able to scout out places to land that they haven't landed before, or even if they have landed before, to not be so complacent. We're like, well, I've landed here before. It's not going to be a problem. But, you know, things can happen. You can, if it is like near a river or something like that, you can have, you know, just conditions change a little bit. So, Oh, it's, totally. It's like, crazy. I mean, yeah, even like we talk about like, you know, dragging the strip you know, or like coming down really low and you're like, you basically hover like, you know, a couple of feet above it. That way you're looking for rocks, you know, sticks, anything that can kind of get in the way because um, those things add up really quickly, especially when you're back there in like the bush. So. Um, I've been kind of trying to prep myself into like getting ready to graduate to the backcountry. I've been over at Goose Bay, which is across the inlet for us. <clears throat> it's they they plow it, but like I was I was out there this weekend and it was kind of ruddy. So it was like actually was like oh this is actually kind of like mimicking a little bit of you know, you're not on the pavement anymore. It's bumpy and a little ruddy, and um, start practicing trying to land really specific on certain points on the runway that way i'm practicing my short landings basically so we get out into the bush that i'm 
ready for these, you know, shorter strips. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, um, what's the hunt plan? Uh, when do you think you're going to be able to take, <laughs> take your, take the plane on, on your first uh, hunt? Well, I got the connect goat tag. So, um, I actually was recommended to put in that by my, my boss. And he said, if you like, you know, put in some work, you can land up there um, by this fall. So, uh, the plan is in September on a nice sunny weekend with my good um, friend Nani out of Juno. Her and I are going to go out there and they have a strip right by a river that's about, I think it's 1,500 feet, which is a good amount. So um, I'll spend the summer out there practicing, making sure I'm ready for it. And then, yeah, hopefully go get a goat out there. And that is awesome. It's great that you drew yeah. that tag too. So it's like this, uh, before you have too much time to think about or not draw something you could use it like you're you have the chance to to make this happen that's awesome exactly and it's giving me a goal i'm already like in my mind i'm like okay i'd like to have this many landings done you know per month that way it's like i'm really feel prepared and ready um to put it out there Mm -hmm. you've had you have some pretty good luck drawing tags how does that happen (laughs) i don't know it's like i think it's a family thing honestly and we all kind of rotate so yeah, I got that, and I also got a an elk on a fognac. So, oh, jeez, that's uh, awesome. yeah. I know I'm gonna have a busy fall here. <laughs> I drew Edelin my third year back or second year back, and I didn't really know anything about anything because we didn't grow up hunting. Did mostly fishing. Um, it was basketball season and cross country season were in the fall, and they just kind of went back to back to back. And so it wasn't until later that they changed it, and there was that gap. So during hunting season, there wasn't basketball season. So um, yeah. yeah, I just didn't really hunt growing up. So drawing that, that, uh, Edelin elk was just, I had no idea what was going on. Got flown in. Did you get one? No, didn't even see one. It oh. was, it was hilarious. It. Um, <laughs> it was a beautiful camping trip. It was the beginning of October. And so we were expecting storms and just brutal conditions. Um, yeah. and it was pretty rugged, uh, territory, but, uh, the weather was great. Didn't see anything. Just saw one black bear and that was it and got flown home. So that'll turn out good. But now I'm thinking, man, I want to draw something because I have more knowledge, more understanding of, of elk hunting and everything else. But to now, of course, I'm not going to draw. So <laughs> now that you're like ready and you want them, <laughs> yeah. put in for a couple of caribou yeah. tags and then uh, a couple of mountain goat tags. But you know, it's, there's still so many opportunities to do. It's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. And I, I feel like I kind of got lucky in a sense of like a little guidance on the, like, you know, my, my boss like put it in for this tag, you know, like they give out a lot and, you know, it's an easy spot for you. And then the same with the Fognac one. My dad was like, pick this one because, you know, seems like we've had good luck with that one. And he knew exactly where to go. My, as soon as I got the tag, my dad like made the phone call and yeah. helped me out with like rain the arrangement. So that's the funny thing about hunts like a Fognac is it's like everybody knows about a Fognac. Anybody that's ever thinking about elk hunting lower 48 included they're like ooh, a fog knack but there's that well it's a fog knack i mean i'd like to go there and i'd like to get an elk but man that's kind of a scary whole thing you got the weather you got the bears you got the everything else and i think um that's also a hunt that some people i'm i'm not sure what the numbers would be but the type of hunt that people might draw but can't make it happen i think that probably happens with sheep a lot too you put in for it because there's so low odds of or opportunity of drawing it but then the year that you draw it, you can't go or you can't uh, can't foot the bill. So that's I kind of feel bad for those people, and I kind of feel like maybe that tag should be recycled to someone else. But at the same time, it's 
you know, you can you can keep an eye on the numbers a lot better if someone drows can't go, well that's one fewer animal or one less animal that's gonna be taken. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. And I'm I'm hoping it all pans out, but I we got a sheep hunt stacked and then we had the goat and then we had the elk and I'm like, man, we're gonna be busy, but the elk um happens to be in the first week of October, which my dad was like, you put in for the wrong one. I was like, oops, sorry. <laughs> you didn't mean to do that. But he's like, he gets, he's like, the weather's not going to be as nice. But um, hopefully I've heard in October, maybe like the bears will be mm. not as, I don't know. I'm sure they're, they're still going to be around, but maybe they'll um, be a little quieter, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing too. Like with bears, with everything else, you just, you know, do what you're supposed to do. You, you, you take care of those sort of basic things when it comes to meat care and whatnot, then you shouldn't have those sort of run-ins. And that's another thing to get, you know, you don't go through your basic hunting checklist and that's where some problems can arise. Totally. Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, we grew up down there in Southeast where like, you know, the black bears and they like run away from us. And so I've been to Kodiak once and I remember like just the tone in Kodiak is different. Like, you know, like you're hiking around all these corners and the brush. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, there are big bears here and got to be more careful. So it'll be a fun hunt, but it's definitely going to have a different, different little ring to it. Yeah. When um, I was up on the, the hall road for the caribou hunt and we uh, both got one, we, uh, we saw one grizzly bear while we were out like during the day. Um, but a couple guys drove by and said, Hey, you know, we saw four grizzlies on your carcass um, last night. Like, oh man, that'd be crazy. But you just kind of wonder where they come from, you know, but they know what's yeah. going on and they're around and it doesn't take much for them to kind of, you know, a little bit of a little, some, some trees on the edge of something. And that's just kind of where they're hanging. And um, man, that's just a whole different program, but man, they are impressive to see in real life. Yeah. No, I, we were in Kodiak last year, last year, I think it was last year. And, um, we were looking for deer and we're like driving out to our spot and we see something like kind of bounce off the road. And I thought, Oh, it's a deer, John. And I just was like, well, let's look. And so he pulled off the road and I like, it was pouring down rain too. I like jump out and I'm kind of like just looking on the beach there. And I like, kind of like, I can't see it, but you know what it was. And I like took a few steps into the you know trees and I was like ah, I can't see it and looked in the beach didn't see what it was I'm like okay maybe I was just seeing something it was raining so it's hard to see I get back in the truck we drive like maybe 20 feet and a mama oh. mama bear and three cubs poke their head up out of the bushes and like they're like 15 20 feet away from us and, and I was like and John and I look at each other and we're like we're in Kodiak <laughs> We need to, like this is this isn't this isn't uh, the South Central anymore. We are in Kodiak, yeah, so that was like, yeah, yeah how, it was that's like, how it happens. <laughs> yeah, just being like, oh yeah, what is it? So. so you went down there just for a deer? Yeah. So um, there was three of us. We were supposed to go, and we booked this Airbnb, and it was I'd never been to Kodiak, so I was like, oh, it'd be so fun to just go for a weekend, and um, so I took a Friday off and like a four day weekend and um <laughs> we went to go and looking at the weather we like saw a huge storm coming and we're like oh. and we'd already paid with the bnb and i was like i don't know i want to cancel the i was like super excited to go and so we had one person bail so john and i just went and we kind of just turned it into like like look you just go we'll give it a shot and so we go and we we stayed on the road system which is like you know harder it's kind of like in prince of wales better to get off and so anyway we stayed on the road system but we ended up doing like three or four hikes we saw a bunch of 
shows and a couple of songs, but um, no books. And it snowed and, of course, was pouring down rain and windy. Classic, like, Southeast storm down there when we were there. But um, it was really fun to see somewhere new. And, like, deer hunting there, it's like you get over these trails and then you can just see forever. I was like, wow, this is just totally different than um, the deer hunting I'm used to. Yeah, I love the Alpine in Southeast. And whenever, ever, whenever I w- I'm watching a video of someone that went to Kodiak, I'm looking at like how much they can glass <laughs> and yeah. those, those, the stinking alders that are, you know, seven feet hall, uh, tall and there's a lot of, you know, shrubbery and whatnot. But man, you can, you can get around, you can see, see some stuff. Yeah. Like even just driving down the road, you can see like whole mountainsides. Um, so it was, it was a really cool experience and I would love to go back. Um, and we got a glimpse of Kodiak. I was like, when we had first flown in the day before the storm was hitting, that evening, it was like, it was just reminded me so much of Craig, of just like beautiful blue sky, the coast, the water. And it was just like, yep, this is why people live here. Yeah, that's funny. It's it's interesting yeah. that um, you mentioned the Airbnb and how much, again, like the change from not only Southeast, but like back in the day before there was Airbnb, when we're staying at the floor on the in, in, in classrooms on the floors for basketball trips or we're, um, you know, staying in, a, in the gym. But now teams are getting Airbnbs or their uh, VRB. Was it Verbo? VRBO? Yeah. yeah, whatever. I yeah, still, yeah. yeah. Um, like they're <laughs> renting a whole house. This is crazy. I feel... Not that, that, is crazy. Not that, I, I, that there's probably too many Airbnbs in Angoon or, or Cake or Yakutat, but it's crazy <laughs> that uh, just how things have changed in those like down south type things and how they make it really nice for people now in, in Alaska to be able to do that and travel, whether it be for, you know, locals going hunting or for athletic teams. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. In fact, the Airbnb in Kodiak, he was like, had a freezer and he had like, definitely you could tell he had like hunters stay there because it was like set up for people who were harvesting <laughs> yeah that's cool that's uh that's great yeah, where yeah did you it was s- awesome when you were up in uh, anchorage for state did you uh where did you guys stay like when you oh, were like man. high school basketball you played yeah basketball, i'm right? trying to think um they put us up in some hotels there in like midtown that's what they'd have us stay in but i mean when we stayed at the hotels, we thought we were like fancy because like you said when we were down there it was like Gym floors, classrooms, you know, sometimes you get housed out at people's houses, depends. Yeah. I know there's, there's some people listening from the lower 48, and so whenever I talk to my buddies down there, they they think high school travel is just, you know, taking your bus, and then you go, <laughs> yeah. you, you come back uh, that same day, but, you know, just to travel up there, getting housed out at people's homes, or you sleep on the gym floor, or, or going up to state or somewhere and staying in a hotel is just totally wild and totally different, but... Um, I don't know. I think you learn a lot of cool little things from that sort of thing. Some self-reliance and, and independence and then spending just a lot of time with your teammates. You learn a lot about them more than you want, but also about how to get over certain things. Um, otherwise, it's going to wreck the dynamics of the team. Oh, yeah. No, totally. And even when I, you know, just talking to patients and, you know, people are like, oh, you're from Southeast. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, I've been to, you know, Sitcourt, you know, and it's it's pretty cool to be like, you know, I'm not only from Southeast, but I've been in almost every Southeast town there is from basketball, volleyball, cross country, band, like all the things I did. So it, you know, growing up down there was pretty special in that aspect. Yeah. And it's the, there was a big NorCal versus SoCal rivalry when I lived there and people, it was like they hated each other. It's just this rivalry from the North part of the state versus the South. It doesn't seem like there is that in, in Alaska because we're all Alaskans and people might say, well, 
you know, Southeast Alaska, does it get as cold, you know, does it get as dark, but it is miserable and it's different, but you know, we all kind of accept <laughs> each other as Alaskans, which is, which is pretty cool. And you don't get that, uh, you don't get that everywhere. Yeah, no, I agree. We're all in it together in the cold and the dark up here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what else you got, um, going on for spring? Do you do spring bear? Um, well, we were kind of up in the air what we were doing this spring and then I had a girlfriend of mine she's like I really want to shoot a black bear and I was like well do you want to go to Craig and she was like yeah let's do it because she was gonna you know pay a lot of money to for a guy to take her out up here and I was like let's go down to Craig so um, my girlfriend and I am are coming down in May I nice. actually go bear hunting so we're gonna go do that and yeah she was like She's actually one of my first friends to come down to Craig, so it'll be fun. You know, Craig, everyone talks about, like, they want to go to Southeast, but it's just logistical, and it's expensive, and it, you know, it's not just, like, a weekend trip, you know. I think we bought, we bought tickets yesterday, and it's like, well, it's like, you know, by the time Alaska Airlines and your Island Air, and it's like a $700 trip for yeah. four days, so it's like, so, But it's yeah. still cheaper than a guide. It's oh, it's way cheaper. <laughs> she's very excited too, and I like love going to people with lots of energy. So she's super stoked to get her first Alaskan game animal. So um, yeah. yeah, we'll be down there in the spring. Awesome. That's the nice thing about yeah. living in Ketchikan is, and Mom's made a couple co- uh, comments about that. Getting from Ketchikan to Prince of Wales is a pain, and it takes a lot of time too. So you're either going Island Air, yeah. which is by far the best, mo- most efficient. If you've done mm-hmm. the ferry a couple times, then it, it definitely go Island Air. But if you haven't done the ferry, you have to do it at least once, one way, for the novelty yeah. of it. Um, but yep. yeah, it adds a whole bunch more complexity to everything. But then you get over there and you got the road system, so that's yep. pretty cool. You're not locked in. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's so super nice to have the airport here in Ketchikan. You can be south pretty fast or north. Yeah. No, I and that's one of the things probably that kept. Prince of Wales Island, you know, so sacred and I don't think as um, it hasn't maybe grown as much as everywhere else I'm just because it's just it's hard to get to and it's, yeah. everything's expensive so I mean we could take the seaplanes from Juneau for 300 and something dollars that you know may or may not make it to the island but um, yeah it's just like I said it's, it's, it's one of those places it's really hard to get to and it's complex but it's so worth it just because everything it offers. So. Yeah, that flight from Juneau to Prince of Wales, that's a pretty long one for a small plane. There's a lot of weather systems, a lot of mountain ranges. There's a lot of stuff in between that, yeah, that's turning around for weather seems like almost an obvious thing. So you might as well just <laughs> do what you guys are doing and get that catch a cat yeah. and fly over. Yeah, I've taken that once. And I, you know, just after the years of getting to and from the island, I have to say, like, going to Juno and then just, you know, the one hour plus flight and then getting off and cool off. I was like, oh my gosh, that's what it feels like. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. It's, like you said, it's like the weather down there. It's like a high risk. Just like, might as well just play it safe and know for sure that you're going to get home. Yeah. Speaking of expense on Prince of Wales, it is crazy what's like the housing prices and just how expensive it is. And there's a lot of locals who like can't afford to, kind of upgrade there's not a whole there's some land available but man the days of when your folks bought uh bought some land and built out saint nick and a lot of other people did that uh that was the 
that was the way to go. That was the thing to do. Yeah. 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 Especially they're like outside of city limits and they're in their own little spot on the water there like that. That, you know, looking back, like you said, that was definitely a good move. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a different program now. There's a lot more people that uh, buying their buying uh, properties in, in Nockety and Nockety was super, super sleepy. There was really nothing going on there. And Kaufman Cove really was nothing until you know, 15, 20 years ago when, uh, well, actually probably longer now, but when logging went out there and they had to kind of reinvent themselves, there was limited logging, but they had to reinvent themselves. And man, Kaufman Cove is a beautiful little community there and, and prices are way expensive uh, yeah. comparatively, but um, yeah, it's growth, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, even in Anchorage up here, it's like just in the last couple of years, it's like kind of crazy what's happening. It's like, how do these young people afford to, do everything. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. Like, yeah. But, so, but, well, what yeah. else you got? Uh, what else is, uh, what else is happening? Um, let's see. I got, we got the spring bear hunt, um, in, uh, July, a girlfriend and I are going to go spend a week and a half in the Brooks range. We're going to, um, basically do a pack rafting slash hiking trip through um, the Brooks Range. We're going to float the Alatna River uh, for about I think, 50 miles. And then we're going to get out and go spend about four days in the Air Ditch Peak. I don't know if you've heard of those. They're, they look amazing. I've heard amazing things about them. So we're really excited. Hmm. I don't have a ton of pack rafting experience. So actually, I need to do a couple trips with Matt. But I grew up doing some sea kayaking. And I, I, I'm sure it's not going to equate over super you know equally but i do have experience in the water and a little bit on the river so yeah yeah what kind of yeah. pack raft do you have um we got the mule the oh, alpaca yeah. one that's so yeah awesome. do you have one yeah uh my wife has um i have the mule and she has i think it's just slightly bigger maybe um okay. explorer or something like that but oh they're yeah, so great because yeah. they're so light and and all the oh problems my gosh, that you had, them down. yeah it's it's yeah. and you can inflate them so easily too so you can pack them back in somewhere it's like the true pack craft it is it is really really awesome we actually got them for my dad's bison hunt um this last fall um I mean, I'm so glad that we didn't have to use them because my dad decided to shoot a ginormous bison, which I don't <laughs> think would have fit. They hold, I think, 500 pounds, but my dad's tag, um, the bone had to be in. So mm. just how big his was, I don't think we would have been safely been able to keep the meat dry and um, well taken care of. So glad we didn't have to use them because he shot his bison so close to this airstrip, which was nice for us. Um, so I'm excited to use the pack craft because I haven't actually got to physically use it yet. We got mm -hmm. at the end of the season last year. Awesome. So, yeah. and, and a great thing to use for the plane too. Um, we're going to, you know, we're obviously not flying out for this trip, but, um, future trips. Now we have a seven pound pack craft, which in aviation, all the, all those extra pounds count. <laughs> right. Yeah. Was it your parents that did the Charlie river or is that the roses? Uh, it must've been the roses. Yeah. 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 They talked about, I think they went with a, a small group or with maybe one other couple. And, and I was talking with Doug about that. And it sounded like a, just an awesome trip. Um, it was, uh, they had rafts. They weren't really like the pack raft, the alpacas that are really nice. But yeah. um, just floating down to the Charlie uh, to the Yukon and then floated down the Yukon for a little bit. So it was on the south side of the Brooks. But man, that's just sounded like an awesome, wow. awesome thing to do. 
Yeah, I'm super excited. Everyone that you talk to the Brooks or that has been to the Brooks Range is just like, you know, they can just tell it's just like a super cool place to go. It's just kind of back to just being a hard and kind of complex place to get to. It. Yeah. We had to make these arrangements back in December, and they only had two dates available left because people book so far in advance. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, they kind of have to keep really careful on their numbers. We're flying out of Bettles, which I think Bettles, uh, correct, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I think like less than a population of like 50, I believe, like year round. So like just not a ton of resources up there. So you kind of like really have to plan ahead. So, um, and it's expensive. Like the flight from Bettles into the Brooks Range is very expensive. I mean, it's gas way up there and just yeah, a long yeah. ways to get in. So, um. But like I said, everyone that you talk to just says it's just an amazing place. So I'm super excited about it. How do you get to Bettles? Is that uh, like Fairbanks first and then over? Or is yep. That... Yep. Okay. So it'll be Anchorage to Fairbanks, Fairbanks to Bettles, Bettles out to the Alatna River. That's awesome. So, yeah. And I'm actually going with my good friend and her husband and they're both big mountain runners. So I'm going to, it's been great. This is going to have like, work on staying in really good shape to keep up with them yeah that's good and my wife yeah. and I are bringing up our uh, our alpacas when we go up in june we're gonna um do some fly fishing on some of those creeks that uh are in the matsu valley because we did the kenai peninsula for the honeymoon and so we're kind of nice. working our way north and we're going to look at some of those streams and want to do some uh mouse fishing so uh fish with a mouse on the surface i've i've done a little bit of that but the prince of wales rainbows aren't super big and so if you're using a mouse you know there might be even scared of it so um okay. i think that's that's kind of a kind of a goal we're gonna look at some of those creeks that are up uh up the highway there talkina area and uh, willow area so short little oh. little floats here and there um but really Fun. when's that gonna be uh i think we get there the 8th and then come back the 18th so yeah how awesome yeah, yeah i'll have to connect you with um some of my good or one of my good friends she's got a place up in talkina and she's Fly fishes a ton. She oh, cool. had some good good recommendations for you up there. Yeah, it's nice to get at least a little bit of intel so you kind of know where to start. You know, if, if yeah. you just yeah. get the impression that you could go to any body of water and there's going to be, you know, two foot rainbows and there's going to be, you know, everything <laughs> everywhere, but that doesn't really, yeah. doesn't happen like that. Yeah, no, it's like showing up to Prince of Wales Island and just like going to, you know, Crab Creek. I don't know. Someone yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. You, you, you exactly. You got to kind of have somewhere to start. Yeah. But. So. Well, uh, always great talking to you. I'm, uh, we'll hey. definitely be in touch and, uh, maybe we can, um, yeah, I'd like to get some information about the, the fishing this, uh, this June. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Catch up with you and, uh, and see how things are going with the, with the flight and the, uh, spring bear hunt and everything like that. Yeah. Hopefully by this fall, I'll have some good stories. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, thanks again for being on. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff.